Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. Another solo episode today. Been taking a little bit of time off before we get into the Summer League stretch, which in today's pod, I'm hoping to, to go through a few initial reactions to some of the bigger free agency deals that have happened over the last week, and then I will give a little bit of a primer into some more major summer league matchups that I'm going to be watching for sure. But at the very least to all my listeners out there, I hope that you take those games that I'll go through pretty quick and you at least have those circled on your calendar as ones that you need to watch. Cause there, there's some really, really, really intriguing matchups coming up, especially over the next few days. We're recording this on Sunday, the eighth, which is actually the first day of summer league. So when we get this podcast out, you'll have already seen a few games, but I'll have a primer as far as what I'm looking for and what I want to see. But let's start right with the free agency stuff. Haven't touched on any of this yet. I've shared some thoughts on our Twitter account, which if you don't follow us already, follow us on Twitter at draft deeper. I'm usually tweeting about some stuff, took a few days off here, but I was giving some thoughts when some deals were coming out. And obviously the biggest news that we had, you, you hear some of the NBA shows say it was the quote-unquote Kyle Lowry sweepstakes, even though he's more on the back end of his career, but he's still an incredibly productive veteran. He was involved in a sign-and-trade deal, as many expected. He's going to Miami. The deal's for three years, $85 million. Goes to Miami in exchange for Goran Dragic and Precious Achua. So let's just start right there. Let's let's hit on some of the other things that Miami did as well to kind of give the bigger picture. Jimmy Butler signed an extension for four years, $184 million. They bring back Victor Oladipo on a one-year minimum deal to, to kind of evaluate his situation, see where he's at. And then Duncan Robinson also got five years and $90 million. So this Miami Heat team is pretty much set up for the short-term future here. When I say short-term future, I mean the next two to three years. They pretty much have the foundation of their team laid out. Kyle gives them a veteran starting point guard who is still a really strong defensive presence in the backcourt. He's going to bring that attitude, that nastiness that Miami's always looking for. You lock up Jimmy Butler, you have Bam out of bio, then you still have shooters like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero to be able to match in there. And then the last deal... That, that I think is important that Miami did, even though that he wasn't the biggest factor for the Milwaukee Bucks down the stretch, they still signed PJ Tucker. And then they also bring in um, Markeith Morris. So they have two really legitimate stretch forwards who in PJ's case will at the very least give you defense and toughness rebounding. He'll be able to soak up some fouls. He won't let any easy buckets around the basket. So they have one of the more complete teams in the Eastern Conference. I'm really impressed with what they set out to do. And it's sort of a philosophy that gets lost sometimes in the NBA where, in my opinion, unless you're in a true rebuilding state, like Orlando, for example, is, is really the only team that I couldn't see taking somewhat of a step forward this year just because they have, they have way too many new pieces. They have too many young players. That team's going to need to develop, and that's part of, what they set out to do this offseason was to make sure that they had a lot of different pieces in the right places to begin a developmental foundation. And then we'll see where that team is like two, three years from now. But other than that, I mean, you saw 
the East in general just get a lot better between some free agency signings as well as some draft picks. Like even the Cleveland Cavaliers are able to draft Evan Mobley at number three. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I thought that that was the best fit for Evan Mobley and the Cleveland Cavaliers out of some of those other top prospects. So if you're not in a true rebuilding state, why don't you make moves to just at least be competitive? Because you never know what happens come playoff time. You never know what's going to happen over the course of a regular season between, between injuries, between team dysfunction. Maybe some teams aren't performing up to the level that we thought they were. Maybe the pieces that were brought in to a team just didn't match right. Maybe things happen that derail the, the course of a team's success over the course of an entire season, be that regular or playoffs. You never know what's going to happen. And Miami's clearly swinging for the fences. They want to not only be competitive, they want to get back into contention. This is a team that's only one year removed from being in the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. And, and everyone wants to say, oh, that can be in a bubble year, but they're still only one year removed. This is a team that's set up to compete now as well as two, three years from now. Again, locking up Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson. I think the Victor Oladipo situation is really interesting because if he can get anywhere remotely close to healthy, he's going to be the team's backup point guard. I think Miami's hope that Tyler Hero steps into more point guard type opportunities. Now, them going after somebody like Kyle Lowry, as well as bringing back and, and re-kicking the tires on Victor Oladipo, that tells me, I think, that they, they want to take advantage more of Tyler Hero off the ball. They want to play to his strengths as far as being a movement shooter, shot creator. They don't want him necessarily in charge with so many burdens of creating offense for other players. That is something that Victor Oladipo can do if he's healthy. He's gotten much better at that over the length of his career. Him and Tyler bring a really interesting dynamic to that bench backcourt, and that gives them some depth there. Um, and, and then we've even seen... Omer Yurtseven have an impressive debut to, to his summer league out in Sacramento. Um, there were the Sacramento as well as the Utah games that, that happened. And Omer for the Miami Heat, he seems like he could be somebody who could also be a backup big for them. So the Miami Heat have, in my opinion, enough solid pieces in place and enough depth where it matters to be able to compete in the Eastern Conference with some of the other top teams like Brooklyn and Milwaukee. To me, they're like the third best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And, and I can assure you that they are not done making moves. They will continue to make moves, um, especially to, to add maybe another piece to that wing rotation, because that, that's probably the one area where they're lacking a little bit right now. Um, there were some rumors that they might have even brought in somebody like DeMar DeRozan. Maybe they convinced him to sign on like a mid-level exception type deal for the chance to not only play for a championship in Miami, but to also play with his great friend, somebody who played with in Toronto for years, Kyle Lowry, but that didn't happen. So I expect Miami um, at some point during the season to maybe make another move or two. But right now, that team's going to be competitive as all hell. They're going to play defense. They're going to foul the crap out of you. They are not going to let you get anything easy. And going up against a team like that, not only just in the playoffs, but even in the regular season, if this Miami Heat team stays healthy, like no, not not many teams are going to want to play them in a regular season game if they're playing that physical and, and that level of defense night in, night out, which, you know, an, an Eric Spolster coach team 
they're going to come in with the right attitude, the right mind at uh, the right mindset to be able to do that consistently. So I really like what they did. The other team in the Eastern Conference that made a bunch of major moves was the Chicago Bulls. And they bring in Lonzo Ball on the sign and trade that was rumored to be happening. And, and it quite literally was reported like five minutes after free agency started. He signs a four-year, $85 million deal, and he was traded um, to Chicago from New Orleans for uh, Thomas Sadaransky, Garrett Temple, and a second-round pick. The Bulls also signed Alex Caruso to a four-year, $37 million deal. And then a few days later, they execute another sign-and-trade for DeMar DeRozan that I was just talking about. He signs a three-year, $85 million deal, and he's traded Chicago in exchange for Thaddeus Young, Alfred Camino, and a future first. Those pieces all go back to San Antonio. So, obviously, they made the move. They gave up future draft picks for Nikola Vucevic last year at the trade deadline. You have Zach Levine in place with one year left on his deal. He's going to be looking for an extension. But now you start to see what the Bulls front office wants to do. I, I said last year when they got Vucevic, I was a little disappointed in the trade because I wanted him to go somewhere where I thought that he had a better chance to contend for a championship because of the quality of player he's been for years. And, and when you build out the team that they had, like Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic being the two main building blocks, you didn't see many defensive pieces around them, especially after they, they made a few trades to get rid of some players um, who weren't perfect on defense, but they were thought to be, you know, at least decent. Somebody like a Wendell Carter Jr., for example, goes to Orlando in that Vucevic deal. It seemed like Chicago was going to adapt this mindset of we want to be really good on offense and we're going to try to outscore you. But if you don't have any sort of defense to, to mitigate those shortcomings at different points, particularly if they would have made the playoffs, like at some point the shots don't fall. You have to play a little defense. You have to give yourself chances to either score and transition or just in general, get a few stops to, to keep yourself having some momentum in some of those bigger games. But if you're going to build a team for the most part, build around offense. Like you have to have enough consistent offense and different ways to score the basketball other than, you know, handing it to Vooch, having him force up a long jump shot, making Zach Levine just create something consistently towards the end of shot clocks and isolation. Now you bring in Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. Lonzo, for everything that he can do passing the basketball, he's also become a much better catch and shoot player. He's going to be a catch-and-shoot threat from three-point range when somebody else creates a shot for him. He'll be able to spread the floor for others. But I really, really, really like the DeMar DeRozan aspect of this deal. And that that's because he's reinvented himself not only as a willing passer of the basketball, but as a pick-and-roll playmaker in, in general. And one of the things that impressed me most about his game, especially last year, I mean, he was in the 91st percentile in pick and rolls, including passes for the Spurs. And he was in the 83rd percentile in isolations, including passes, obviously being one of the best isolation scorers in the league last year in the 96th percentile and in the 84th percentile scoring out of pick and roll type play types as a ball handler. So the one major thing that the Bulls have lacked at the guard spot for years now they did not have somebody who could effectively play pick and roll basketball, not necessarily just score out of those play types, but also distribute. Um, Kobe White is not a good pick and roll playmaker. Tomas Sadoransky has not been a good pick and roll player. Zach Levine, while he 
has improved his playmaking leaps and bounds since he came into the league. You still don't want to funnel that much responsibility into his hands. You want him getting active, moving without the basketball, getting open for spot up looks, catch and shoot threes. And then obviously there's a certain number of offensive possessions per game where he's just going to try to cook his man. And he's gotten a lot better at making those shots, but still he he's a bucket getter. Actually, I should say he's a shooter first and foremost, and then a bucket getter but he's not your typical traditional playmaker out of pick and roll sets either. Now you bring in guys like DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball will be much more committed to passing the ball offensively, getting the ball moving, getting people playing well in transition. This is what you want to see. And then you still have a stretch big like Nikola Vucevic, as good as his post game is. He's also worked really hard at being able to stretch the floor. He'll be a trailer on a lot of those transition type possessions that Lonzo and Zach will want to get the team involved in. And he'll be able to hit some trailer threes, which will really help space the floor and diversify that offense as well. So they have a bunch of scores and playmakers now on that end of the floor. It, it remains to be seen what this team's going to be able to do from a defensive standpoint. Obviously, there's a lot of question marks there, but at the very least in the regular season, this team's going to win a lot of basketball games because they can score in, in pretty much any way you would want to on the court. They can score in transition. They can drive and score at the basket now, especially with somebody like DeMar, even Zach Levine. They can score off post-ups with somebody like Vooch stepping in. Um, they, they can score off catch-and-shoot looks. They can play make out of pick-and-roll. Just the number of different things they can do on offense, I love it. You have somebody like Alex Caruso who can help defensively in the backcourt, maybe even mix and match him in with some of the starters. If Patrick Williams is able to take another leap, offensively this year as well he continues to hit corner threes he expands his role a little more on offense maybe you see some of that mid-range shot making and if he's able to hold it down as like a 4-3-3-4 three, three, defensive guy somebody who can go and potentially guard the other team's best player if he makes that kind of a leap in year two which some people do think is possible now we're now we're really talking about not only just a playoff team in Chicago, but one that could maybe contend for like a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I do not see that out of reason whatsoever. I think that they're going to be right there in that race with, with the Atlanta of the world, with the New York Knicks of the world. They're going to be right there. So I really like, I really like what, what Chicago did. People can argue about the amount of dollars that DeMar DeRozan was ultimately given in that deal, the amount of dollars that Lonzo Ball was given on his deal. Until I really see the basketball come into play on the court, I don't necessarily say a deal is good or bad simply because of the dollars. At the end of the day, the NBA with the cap keep on increasing every single year. Last year was a different story because of everything that happened with COVID, but the, the cap's already projected to go up next year. I think another 4%, if I'm correct on that number, I think that's what I heard elsewhere. I mean, we're just been in a situation for years now where the cap keeps increasing every year. The market value of these players keeps increasing every single year. Guys who we didn't think were worth max contracts at one point are being given at least near max contracts. Now, like this is just the landscape of the league. There's a lot more money involved. These players are, are getting paid for good reason. And that's why I don't want to make too much of a big deal about some of the money. But there is something to be said in some circumstances about the assets that are given up to get a player or the assets that are acquired for a player 
that aren't necessarily going to be the same level of return. And this is really the issue for the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, they did sign Devontae Graham to sort of, quote-unquote, replace Lonzo Ball in the backcourt. He got a four-year, $47 million deal. But, God, the Pelicans, they, they are not going to be a better team than they were last year. And I think that was really the goal for David Griffin, to be able to come in this offseason, make some moves, bring in somebody like a Kyle Lowry, uh, a DeMar DeRozan, somebody along those lines to give them more of a veteran presence to go along with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Apparently the pressure's on David Griffin to really make moves to put this team in a much better place or else, you know, Zion, there, there's all these crazy rumors out there about how when he, when he gets to the point on his deal, he might just sign the qualifying offer, making him an unrestricted free agent. I don't really think that's going to be the case. I don't, I don't think if you're Zion Williamson, particularly with some of the injury history, you've already had if you can afford to pass up on that much money in a guaranteed contract with, with signing the the type of extension that he's likely going to be offered but you just hear all of these crazy rumors that are that seem to be stemming at least from his camp that he has not been happy with all of the coaching changes he has not been happy with some of the personnel that's been around him he wants a chance to win basketball games at a high level that's some of the comments that you heard from Trey Young for the Atlanta Hawks before they made some of the moves they did last offseason bringing in guys like Bogdanovich, trading for Clint Compella. Like the Hawks went out and they made legitimate moves to bring in veteran talent to surround those younger pieces. You saw the development of not only Trey Young, but some of those other guys around him, like a Kevin Herter, for example. John Collins has continued to get better. He actually signed an, uh, an extension, five years, $125 million. So he got paid. They retained him. That Atlanta team is so loaded. Like, I understand they might not make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals next year, but because that's just so hard to do. But they're going to remain competitive for quite a while now because they had the right approach to their rebuilding process. They just kept, they kept making the right draft picks. They kept on surrounding Trey with these wing-type playmakers slash shooters who could stretch the floor. They're, they're, they're not starved offensively, as you saw from a team like New Orleans at times last year. Even though at, at some points they looked really good on offense, there were other times where they were just not a really good half-court offensive team in crunch time. And then obviously they were a disaster defensively. And Atlanta wasn't a good defensive team either, but you at least saw them make the move to bring in a rim protector like Capella to help shore up that area of the floor. Um, John Collins improved as a defender. Trey Young was not horrible defensively during the playoffs, whether that's because... Teams just didn't choose to attack him as much as, as some other players. That, that's certainly something that you can say. But Atlanta made strides where they had to. And you would have thought that New Orleans would try and be this Atlanta type of rebuilding team with a star like Zion, where they're going to try to maximize the amount of talent around him. And they're going to try to build, if not a contender, at, at least a playoff team that can maybe fight for one of those top six seeds in the West because they do have a star like that in Zion and then a co-star in Brandon Ingram, but there's just not, there's just not enough depth on that team in terms of quality players to bring them up over the hump. Like Nikhil Alexander Walker is likely going to be a starting two guard for them. Now um, he's not a bad player, but he's not, he's not a guy you necessarily want to write home about. as like a third option for that team. Devonte Graham, while he can be a prolific shooter and get hot for stretches, he's not the type of complete scorer or, or more complete lead guard that you want definitely running that team. Jonas Valanciunas was a really, really unsung hero for the Memphis Grizzlies last year. 
but I don't know how much better he's definitely going to be than, than Steven Adams. And then the depth, they're going to be relying on some of the younger guys to really take a jump. Somebody like a Kyra Lewis off the bench, for example. So the, there's just so much unknown with New Orleans. I Thankfully, I like some of the draft stuff that they did. We talked about that on our last podcast with Chuck from Chucky Darts about how we both like the draft picks for Trey Murphy and Herb Jones. But I just don't know. Like I don't see that New Orleans team as a playoff team unless Zion and Brandon Ingram just go wild over the course of a full like 72 to 82 games. Like I just don't see how that team makes a playoff push in a Western conference that may not be as deep anymore as the Eastern conference, that dynamic might've flipped between the two, but you still have so many good teams in the West that are going to make playoff pushes, you know, because they have more veteran talent, more experienced talent. I don't think new Orleans is in that mix anymore. So they're a team that's been talked about widespread for good reason. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what the plan is. And I echo those sentiments. It's going to be really interesting to see how some of those players get better after another year with a new coach and Willie Green, if any of those young guys like Trey Murphy or Herb Jones, if they're going to be able to make an impact or if they're, you know, still too young, that also remains to be seen. It's going to be really interesting watching some of these teams. Moving back to the Eastern Conference, the New York Knicks. Listen, I love their draft. I think their draft, we'll, we'll be doing more of the draft grades over the coming weeks. I would probably have to give the Knicks like one of my top five or top six grades in the draft. To be perfectly honest, I loved the players that they brought in and I loved everything that they did in free agency, except this is the one time I'm going to talk about a contract that I'm not fully in love with is the Evan Fournier deal. Four years, $78 million. It seems like every time somebody pays Evan Fournier, like, this type of guy who is like a legitimate third option on offense. You can funnel playmaking responsibilities through him. He can score in a variety of ways. I feel like the more responsibility you put on his plate, the more he ends up disappointing, particularly in the playoffs. Evan Fournier is a good NBA player. He's a skilled shooter, can create something for himself, can shoot off the move, can catch and shoot. He's like a 40-plus three-point percentage level shooter which at this point in the nba you can never have enough of those guys i just wonder if he's definitely worth that amount of money i really do wonder that if if the new york knicks are quote-unquote overpaying for the type of shooter that they know he is and they're going to limit the amount of responsibilities he has offensively and just ask him to hit open shots when they're there then i don't hate the move because they had the cap space to burn. They had to pay somebody. But as long as New York understands the type of player that they have in Fournier, the type of complementary offensive talent that he is, then I don't hate the move. But I just question, I question how much the Knicks are going to ask of Evan Fournier. And that's going to be something I'm really interested in seeing. But bringing back New Orleans Noel bringing back Alec Burks, bringing back Derrick Rose on these three-year deals that are also structured in terms of the money that's doled out per year to maybe be trade pieces and something bigger that, that can happen down the line. 
Maybe Dame Lillard finally requests a trade out of Portland. He wants to go to a market like New York. They have some pieces there that could make the money work. I like New York just standing pat, not doing anything really stupid, drafting the right players, having the foundation in place to still be good again defensively next year. You have some more offensive talent around guys like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. If Kemba Walker works on that one-year $8 million deal, he was bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, health is the biggest concern for for Kemba. The knee's going to hold up. But if you're getting like 18 to 20 points per game, Kemba Walker, that's without a doubt a fantastic deal. Somebody who can alleviate those playmaking pressures, those shot creation pressures off of Julius Randle, because that was really the next biggest problem in the playoffs last year. R.J. Barrett wasn't ready quite yet to take that level of a step in the playoffs and be like a solidified second option slash first option in some lineups and instances. And Julius Randle is not a mid-range shot creator. He's either at his best, getting downhill, going to the basket, or spotting up from three. Those are outside of some of the playmaking dimensions that he added and obviously what he brings on the glass on both ends of the floor. But in terms of shot creation, He's not somebody who's you're, you're comfortable with taking a few dribbles and just like launching up these long twos. That's not part of his game. Atlanta was very smart to put him in those situations and scheme around that aspect of his game defensively. And they, they made New York pay. They made New York pay for putting the ball in Julius Randle's hands too much. But if you have guys like Akemba Walker, Derek Rose comes back. He was excellent for them in the playoffs. Evan Fournier is going to be able to hit open shots. Alec Burks can also be a mid-range type shot creator. You have more guys on the team. You have guys like RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly who will continue to make strides. I like what New York did. Are they a championship contender? No, but are they like a top five seed in the East contender? Absolutely. We'll see if the defense holds up. We'll see if they can get incrementally better offensively, if they can make any more noise in the playoffs next year. So that brings us to, I'll save the best free agency topic for last, the most popular topic, the Los Angeles Lakers draft night. They were involved in a sign and uh, not a sign and trade deal in a trade in general to bring in Russell Westbrook that ultimately ended up being a five team deal. I'm not going to focus on all of the moving parts of the deal. This is really between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Washington Wizards. The Lakers got Westbrook and three future second round picks. The Wizards got ended up getting Spencer Dinwiddie in, in a sign and trade deal with the Nets. The Nets were one of the five teams that were involved in this. And then from the Lakers, they got Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Montrose Harrell, Aaron Holiday, and they also Aaron Holiday came from from the Pacers. They were another team in the deal, and they also got the rights to the thirty first pick, which ended up becoming Isaiah Todd. On the Wizards side of things. I guess Bradley Beal's in this for the long haul. They bring in Spencer Didwitty. I do like that that combo type fit in the backcourt for them. They add plenty of depth with some of their other players, guys like Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope. These are guys who are going to be able to hit shots around Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia. You have some big men depth now in Thomas Bryant, Montrose Harrell. Are the Wizards going to do a lot of things to necessarily compete? In the Eastern Conference, they're likely a play-in team. I don't know how much further they get than the play-in tournament, but this at least, in my opinion, ensures that the Wizards aren't going to be a non-playoff team. We're not going to see them in the lottery. That at least keeps them competitive and afloat while Bradley Beal determines 
how much quote unquote losing he's willing to endure and how much quote unquote winning he can potentially do in Washington. Or if he ends up asking out of that situation, if he looks to be traded elsewhere, we'll see what comes from that. But I think Bradley bill at least wanted to bring in some familiar veterans that, that he's good friends with guys like Spencer did and Tavis Caldwell Pope, bring in some of those guys, get some chemistry stuff going in the locker room. That's much better than last year and really give that team a chance to be competitive. So, I like what ended up happening from that perspective. I just don't know if the Wizards got that much better, but in small increments, I'll say they at the very least added more depth to give them better chances to win, at least in the regular season. Maybe pile up a little bit higher of a win total there, get them a better opportunity in the play-in tournament. So that's pretty much where we're at from the Washington perspective. From the Lakers' point of view, now they get the third star. They have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, the big three. They had a flurry of signings in the offseason, cheap deals that they had to make because they traded away a lot of their depth to get Russell Westbrook. Taylor Horton Tucker is re-signed on a three-year $32 million deal. Kendrick Nunn, two years, $10 million. Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, and Dwight Howard. Holy cow, that's that's six pretty well-known players coming in on, on what seem to be one-year minimum deals. Now, on top of some of the other two-way contracts signings they made with guys like Joel Iai, Austin Reeves, even though I don't know how much playing time they're going to see during the regular season for the Lakers. Either way, now you have some pieces that put you right back into the thick of the race, not only in the Western Conference, but to potentially get back to the finals and, and win it. As long as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy enough, now you have somebody like Russell Westbrook who can come in, spell LeBron James and Anthony Davis in terms of minutes and responsibility during the regular season. Russell Westbrook is going to put up triple-double numbers or close to triple-double numbers. He's going to play balls to the wall every single night. He's going to give the effort, the toughness, the tenacity that that team needs when LeBron James isn't able to bring it on, on a certain night. If he needs to rest, if Anthony Davis can't bring it on that night or he needs to rest, you have somebody like Westbrook there to clean up, clean up some of that responsibility. And then you just have a bunch of guys who know how to play winning basketball and win at higher levels. Wayne Ellington, veteran shooter, been around a long time, knows how to shoot the three ball. Kent Bazemore, same story. Trevor Ariza, former Laker coming back. He's hit big shots. He'll be able to play some decent defense for you. Um, Dwight Howard comes back. Dwight Howard probably had his best year out of the last two in Los Angeles. He really didn't give Philadelphia much of anything. So he'll be that, that vertical spacing type big man that the Lakers were missing last year, even though Andre Drummond come in, he did not live up to expectations that they had for him. He'll be back. Getting somebody like Malik Monk on a minimum deal, regardless of how you feel about Malik Monk, how good he might be able to be, how much left he has from a developmental perspective, he's going to be able to shoot the basketball. He's a young guy that can come in, wants to run the floor, get up and down, shoot the basketball, catch and shoot. He's going to be a very... Awesome option, in my opinion, next to somebody like LeBron James, who, if you just spread the floor for him with shooters, shooters who know where to be, 
how to catch the basketball at the right time, get it up quick, aren't afraid to gun it. That That's Malik Monk all the way. So I really like that fit next to LeBron James. And overall, I like what the Lakers did. I really like what the Lakers did. I've never been the biggest fan of Russell Westbrook, but I think on this Lakers team, at the end of the day, it makes sense. If there's anybody on the planet Earth who can get Westbrook to do a few different things besides just being ball dominant, um, get involved more as a cutter, um, get get him as good of a rebounding guard as he is, get him more active on the offensive glass. If there's, if there's anybody who can have Westbrook change up his role and just get him to stop taking a lot of those threes and long twos and, and, and look for offense in, in, in different ways, it's LeBron James. LeBron James has had that effect on people before. He's that leader that that team needs to have in the locker room on a consistent basis. He's been that leader since he came to LA. He's really been that leader um, since he even came into the league going back to his first sin in Cleveland. That's the type of person who LeBron James is. He gets others involved. He's, he's a passing savant. He knows how to position guys on the floor. He'll coach, he'll, he'll help coach Russell Westbrook. I firmly believe that. I think, this is going to be the best version of Russell Westbrook potentially that we've seen from a pure basketball perspective in terms of playing the game the right way and cutting down on the amount of stupid stuff. Is he as athletic of a dynamo as he's been in years past? I think some of that has started to fade away from his game, but just playing basketball the right way, fitting together with the other pieces around him, playing a team game offensively, I think we're going to see a different Russell Westbrook. I think this is finally the year where we see some of that. If I'm proven wrong, if this doesn't work out the way that it's intended, maybe I'll be wrong about that. I think this Lakers team is now built to go back to the finals. People can say what they want about calling this the AARP squad, the old man squad. You win with older players, experienced players in the NBA. We we are a draft podcast here at Draft Deeper, but we look to the draft. We like to evaluate the young players. I like to project these guys out where they might be three to five years from the point where they're drafted. But I've never come on this podcast and said that just because a team drafts this guy and this guy, that that's going to make the team that they're going to so much better in that first year. That that's usually not the case. Young guys do not win big games in the NBA. It's about the vets. And now the Lakers have plenty of them. I firmly expect them to be back in the race to get to the finals next year in the West, not going out in the first round to a team like Phoenix. Um, and, and that can change if, if LeBron and AD or, or even Russ to an extent aren't healthy, that can change, but LeBron's going to be motivated. He's already calling out his haters. I think Anthony Davis will come back. He has a lot to prove. I like where that team's headed. So those are pretty much my free agency thoughts on the big moves that happened. There are a lot of other smaller moves that I'm sure that I'll be digging into. I know that I'll be recording some live podcasts out in Vegas at Summer League with some awesome NBA people. I'll definitely be getting Brett Usher from the Overstated back on the podcast. I'm sure that, that we'll have a little fireside chat. We'll go through some other free agency things and some other NBA moves in general that we liked. But I got to shift the focus before we cut out this podcast to Summer League. We're a draft podcast first and foremost. Really exciting 2021 draft that just took place. Some Summer League games that I'm excited to watch for. This is 
August 9th and beyond because we're recording this on August the 8th. We definitely won't be getting the podcast out same day. So August 9th and beyond, here we go. Right away on Monday the 9th, we got the Orlando Magic versus the Golden State Warriors. That's a really intriguing game because it's it's a chance for Jalen Suggs to come out with all of the eyes on him against a team like Golden State. Everybody's going to be watching the Warriors the entire summer league. They want to see what Jonathan Kuminga does. They want to see what Moses Moody does. This is a chance for two guys like, like Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony to come out and, and prove to everyone that both of them, honestly, should have been drafted higher than they were. Jalen Suggs definitely feels that way. He He's already called out the other four teams ahead of him. He's going to be motivated, looking to prove something. What better way to do that than to go out Monday night, have a big game against Golden State, against those two primetime rookies, against some of the other players on, on that Golden State Summer League squad that, that I'm going to be interested in watching. Um, guys like a Jordan McLaughlin, Ja'Cory, excuse me, I'm really excited to see that game, and I'm excited to see what Jalen Suggs does coming out big time. August 10th, Detroit Pistons, Houston Rockets, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green. You already know that those two are going to want to put on a show for the crowd. Usually with Summer League, we can expect to see these quote-unquote top rookies for at least the first couple of games. Then depending on what happens, maybe they'll play another game after that. Maybe they'll sit out the rest of summer league, but this is early on in the schedule. We know for a fact we're going to see the big boys come out, show out. We, we'll see what they can do. Kate Cunningham on the big stage against Jalen Green. I'll also just really be interested to see what happens um, from a big man perspective. If Houston's able to leverage their size advantage with what they're going to be coming in with as far as somebody like an Alper and Shangoon against a Detroit Pistons team, that Isaiah Stewart's not playing in the summer league. So Detroit's not going to have some some primetime big men to really go up against Alper and Shengun from a physical perspective and limit him from potentially doing damage on the interior. I'm really excited to see what comes of Shengun throughout this summer league process, obviously on both ends of the floor, particularly defensively. But this is a game where it might not just be about the perimeter shot makers. It might not just be about Jalen Green and Josh Christopher doing damage from the perimeter. This might also be about Shengun getting easy buckets inside and really putting the hurt on the Pistons. I'll be interested to see if that coaching staff wants to leverage that size advantage and really take advantage of that against a team like Detroit. Then we get to August 11th. Man, we I got three games circled this day. Um, if you're usually the type of person who doesn't have time to watch every single summer league game, we all got lives. We all still got to work and go to our day jobs. We don't always have time to watch everything, but you can even get some of these games on a replay. I got three here. We'll start with the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Orlando Magic. Again, another nice big stage for Jalen Suggs to come out against Evan Mobley and, and the Cleveland squad. Make a point, prove that he should have definitely been picked higher than some of these other guys. I'll be really excited to see how intense that matchup gets. Then we get the Oklahoma City Thunder against the New Orleans Pelicans. The Josh Giddy experience against some of the talent that New Orleans is going to be bringing to Summer League. I can't wait to see how Josh Giddy responds, not only in this game, but at other different points for Oklahoma City in the Summer League. I believe they, they get started um, today. I, I, I believe they're playing the Detroit Pistons, if I'm correct. So right away off the bat, you'll get to see Giddy against Cape Cunningham. But what does Giddy look like in this type of environment? Do, does Oklahoma City put the ball in his hands? 
right away? Do they ask him to be like the point guard of the team? Do they see him as more of this off-ball type forward? How does Oklahoma City use Josh Giddy in this summer league? I think is going to be an interesting telltale as far as what comes of him during the regular season, how they're going to look to maximize his talent, and what they're going to ask him to do. And then we have Toronto against Golden State. Scotty Barnes going up against some of those other matchups, like a Kuminga, for example, like Moses Moody. Scotty Barnes is probably going to be matched up against some of those guys. How does Scotty guard those guys if he's matched up on them? And in turn, how does somebody like Kuminga guard Scotty Barnes? Um, Kuminga is really going to have to do some things defensively and on the glass to earn minutes in his rookie season with Golden State. He's not going to earn minutes because of his offensive output. We saw already, and this isn't too hard of a criticism on him, but we saw already that Kaminga's not ready to be an efficient offensive threat. But if he plays defense like he did, if he's a threat in transition, if he rebounds the basketball, particularly while on both ends of the floor, and they can trust him to be like the pseudo 4-5 type big instead of a wing, that's a way that they can use him on the floor to get him minutes. And if he's going to be matched up in that type of a role, that means he's going to be going up against a big forward like Scotty Barnes. How do those two match up against each other? I'll be really intrigued to see that. Then the next day, August 12th, we get Toronto playing again against the Houston Rockets. What does Scotty Barnes look like against not only Alper and Shengun, um, but do they use Scotty Barnes as this versatile defensive forward like he's been billed as? Do they put him on somebody like, like a Jalen Green, for example, or a Josh Christopher? Who does Scotty Barnes end up guarding the most on the Houston Rockets? I'll be really intrigued to see that from a defensive perspective. Then August 13th, we have the Warriors against the Thunder. So again, talking about Kuminga defensively, who he matches up against, do they put him on what might be a primary ball handler like Josh Giddy? How does Giddy not being the most athletic prospect or, or one of the more athletic prospects in this draft class, he has good size, but he's not built well. He's not the fastest of forwards. How does he match up from a physical perspective against like a Moody or a Kuminga if those are two of the forward type prospects that they put on Giddy? How does he fare with that? Is he pressured? Does he get sped up? Is he not able to handle the physicality? How does he finish around uh, around the basket on the uh, on the inside? What's Giddy able to do offensively to really separate himself against those potential defensive matchups? I'll be really curious to see that. Same day, we get the New York Knicks against the Detroit Pistons. Again, I love some of the things that the Knicks did in the draft, getting guys like Quentin Grimes, uh, Miles McBride, Jericho Sims. How do some of those guys match up if Cade Cunningham's still playing at this point? Um, how do those New York Knicks guys match up against some of the talent that the Pistons are bringing in for Summer League? And then last game I have highlighted on the 14th, Cavs, Knicks, Evan Mobley going up against somebody like Jericho Sims. Does Mobley, if he's still playing at this point, have the offensive presence to be able to score over a rim protector like Jericho Sims in turn? Does he struggle with keeping up with some of the size that New York's bringing the summer league? Similar to what we saw in the NCAA tournament when Mobley was matched up with a truer big man like a Drew Timmy. Has Evan Mobley improved offensively and defensively to not be eaten alive by some of those other bigs and let them mitigate some of his offensive value? Um, and then in general for, for Mobley, particularly with Cleveland, how much playmaking responsibility also do they put in his hands? 
That was one of the biggest pluses that was talked about in Mobley's game is that he's this perimeter-oriented big who can handle the basketball and make plays for others. How does that play out in an environment like Summer League where generally teams are they, – they give more creative freedom to some of these higher-level draft picks? Let them come in, show what they can do, maybe build off of what they ultimately prove that they can do, and then take some of the criticisms of some of the th- areas that they struggled in or things that they couldn't do. Where where does Mobley come out from this summer league? Is he as polished offensively as he potentially could be playing against some of the competition? Does he struggle with some areas around the basket, both offensively and defensively? How does he fare defensively? Does he end up staying more around the basket, being an interior shot blocker? Does he get switched out on a perimeter matchups? I, I'm just very curious to see how these teams use a lot of these higher level draft picks and how do these guys impact NBA style basketball? We know what some of these guys can do in college and, and in an overseas league like the NBL or the Turkish league, for example, with guys like Giddy and Shengun. What do they do in an NBA style environment? I will be watching closely. I'll be taking notes. Again, some of the podcasts will be able to record in Vegas. I can't wait to share some of my thoughts, seeing these guys up close and personal with, with some of the other friends that I'll have on the podcast. I cannot wait to dive a little deeper into this summer league basketball. And I hope that this little primer of some games that I have circled, you get those games circled on your calendar. You're sitting down, you're watching, you're interacting with me on Twitter as I'm sharing my thoughts. I I'm so excited to have discussion about how these guys look in an NBA environment. I can't wait to, to dig into some thoughts and observations with you guys, as well as some of the other guests I'll have. So I'll cut the podcast here today. Again, just some short thoughts on what I thought from some of the bigger moves on free agency, as well as some things I'll be watching at Summer League. Again, please follow us on Twitter at DraftDeeper. At the time of recording this, we're almost at 1,200 followers. Let's get to that 1,200 mark before I get to Summer League Thursday night. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. We're a little light on the content the beginning to, to middle of August, but trust me, once we get some of the live pods recorded out at Summer League, we'll get back on the draft grade train as well. And then we'll be crashing right into 2022 draft prep at that point. Um, I'll be watching some some early film on some of the younger guys, the freshmen that are incoming from 2022. We'll have thoughts with some guests about some of the returning guys as well, some of the international prospects. So September and on, trust me, we will dive right back into the 2022 draft. We'll do some NBA preview stuff for, for that upcoming season when we get to October. So plenty of content planned. Stay tuned. Stay subscribed. I can't wait to be in contact with you guys. And hit us up on Twitter. If you're going to be out at Summer League, you want to meet up, have some conversations while we're at the good old Thomas and Mac in Cox Pavilion, hit me up on Twitter, at DraftDeeper. I would love to, to meet as many of my audience as I possibly could. That's what it's all about, interacting with you guys, sharing thoughts, ideas, getting better through communication at enjoying and evaluating the game of basketball that we all know and love. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy Summer League. Let's have a blast. Hope I see you all out there. Take care. Mm-hmm.